I invite you to turn with me once again to the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. We are going to be in chapter 2, looking at verse 1 through 12 this morning. A quick announcement before we get into our message. Um, Today, we have a great opportunity to confirm Phil Moser as our our pastor of preaching and teaching here at Redeemer Church, and we're going to do that toward the end of our service. And just want to let you guys know as we close out our service and and right after the benediction, the the children will be coming uh, from the back, the workers will be coming from the back, and uh, they will be led to you. So if you are a parent of one of those children, just know that they are coming to you and uh, uh, with all their joy and and wonder. And uh, just want to make sure that you're aware of that uh, so that the workers can be uh, involved in that confirmation. We are excited about uh, uh, God working in Redeemer Church, and uh, we're excited about the confirmation of Phil Moser as our pastor of preaching and teaching. Last week, we looked at... um, uh, really, the the first whole first chapter of um, this Paul's letter is a message of thanksgiving. Paul had just ended this his ended this message, and he where he has recounted the transforming power of the gospel in the lives of these believers, and he is thankful for their work. He's he's thankful for the gospel being able to come to them and change them, and, and he's thankful for the example that we have, or uh, that they have in their community, in their region, because of what Christ has done in their life. And, and now, in chapter 2, we're, we're going to enter into what is the main thrust of Paul's letter uh, to the church here. Uh, from this point onward, we're, we're leaving this, this Thanksgiving, even though it's, it's trickled all the way through uh, both of the letters to this church, and we're getting to this main thrust of the pa- passage. In this second chapter... Paul gives us uh, a a glimpse into the character and conduct of faithful gospel ministry in the local church by basically remembering the motive and method of the ministry to this church. And so that's that's really kind of the thrust of what we're we're talking about here and what we're going to dive into. We see this glimpse, we're going to discuss this glimpse, and really the aim for today is as we walk through this text for us to see four marks, four marks of faithful gospel ministry in the local church. As we look at these first 12 verses of chapter 2, we are immediately taken back to uh, remembrance of Acts 16 and 17, where Paul and Silas had just been beaten, humiliated, and imprisoned in Philippi, and then they traveled to Thessalonica. There Paul preached, and as he preached in the synagogue uh, on three Sabbaths, in three uh, Sabbaths, Um, he was met with harsh opposition, so much so that he had to flee to Berea. At Berea, the hostility of Thessalonica followed him, right? It followed him in in Acts 17. So much so that Paul had to immediately leave the, the whole region. Paul's ministry, whether we're reading about his trials and tribulations in Philippi or Thessalonica or in Rome, wherever the case may be, Paul's ministry was marked by suffering, 
by persecution, by hardships. But it was also marked by boldness, truthfulness, love, and encouragement. So we see both of these things here. We're we're immediately taken back to Paul's ministry here. And we see his persecutions. We see his sufferings. He's calling those things to remembrance. But in doing so, he's also saying, not only did I suffer, but I, I was bold. Not only did I have hardships, but I was truthful. Not only did I have difficult, but I loved. Not only did I have these trials in my life, but I also was an encourager. And what we find here is that in this passage of Scripture here that we're going to be uh, reading today, because of Paul's deep love for this church, and because of the ongoing criticism of the gospel and the ministry of the apostles, this message is a necessity for this church, and I believe it to be a necessity for us today. Both the message and the messenger are under attack. The message and the messenger are under attack, and and Paul understands something that we need to understand. This is a big picture here, that the perseverance of the faith of these believers is on the line. And so when we hear this message, we really need to hear it in the context of, hey, my faith, my faith is on the line. My, my uh, ability in Christ to persevere is on the line. I need gospel ministry. I need the local church. I need to minister in this way and be ministered to in this way. Now, before we get into to our text and read our text this morning, uh, I want to, to let you know that we, we can sense the opposition of the text and we can sense the, the, the criticisms that are coming, but we do not know specifically who is criticizing. We do not know specifically why these accusations are coming. But what we do know is that when we look deeply into this text, we can, uh, we can understand what Paul is saying, and we can make a good assessment of the accusations. And in some sense, we are going to reverse engineer here. We're going to see what Paul is denying. We're going to see how he's defending. And in doing so, we can kind of make a good assessment of what those accusations actually are. But we don't know specifically. What we do know is that these accusers or the accusations among the church were were trying to distract, they were trying to disrupt, and they were trying to distort the message of the gospel by accusing the messenger of the gospel. But what we see here is that Paul's ministry and message to the, to the church defines something for us. It defines what true spiritual leadership in the church actually looks like. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 
For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is, our, God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Before we look into these four marks of a faithful, a faithful gospel ministry, I want to make a few observations. You probably picked these out. There's a lots of observations in this text, and I'll be honest with you, this is a very technical text. Uh, we could spend a lot of time here. There's a lot of words and, that we could really just dive into. We're not going to do that this morning. We'll, we'll bring out some of those. Uh, I encourage you for, to take this text and really dive into it in your own time and, and, and study it uh, because it can be very helpful in your walk with Christ. few observations. One is, not only in what we read today, but all through these two letters, Paul uses... Family language. Paul uses family language. Paul continues to address his readers as brothers, brothers, brothers. We saw that in chapter 1. We, saw, we see it in chapter 2 and 3 and 4. This indicates something to us. It should indicate the closeness, the bond that he has with this church. That he would call them brothers. That, that there is something bigger here than just this this authoritative figure in these people's lives pinning a letter. This is family. And we can see the, the interest that Paul has in the life of, of his brothers. That he would say, not only brothers, but he would treat them like a mother. That he would lead them like a father. That he would shepherd them like children. This is a very important observation here. Because in this, it tells us something. That this is a, a, a bond brought, people brought together in Christ Jesus, and there is a closeness among this family. There is a closeness. We'll see that flesh out a little bit later on in our passage. Another observation I want us to make is that the, what we have here is we have Paul um, vindicating his ministry. Um, defending his ministry in this passage. And the vindication of Paul's ministry is really marked by two things. It's marked by the church's capacity to remember, as you know, 
for you remember, as you know, as you know. So, so it's marked, the vindication of Paul's ministry. Everything that we're going to walk through today, that vindication is marked by the church's capacity to remember who Paul is and what Paul was all about. And also, it's marked by God's ability to appoint and approve the messenger. This is very important observation here. All right? Paul's, the vindication of Paul's ministry is marked by the church's capacity to remember and God's ability to appoint and to prove and to approve and to lead his church. All right, this is very important. Third observation I'd like for us to make. And we'll this last observation that I want to make is, is really kind of the ebb and flow of this passage and will we'll provide us the structure of our, of our message today. Paul uses a grammatical pattern in this text. It's a grammatical pattern. What you see is, you see, it's not this, but this. It is, it is um, the... Denial and the defense pattern. It's a grammatical. It, it, he says, for this, but this. For this, you know. God is a witness. He's denying these accusations. He says, but this. This is what we did. This is how we lived. This was our conduct. This was our character. And so you kind of see this ebb and flow. So this is our structure. It's not this, but this. It's not X, it's Y. And that, that's going to help us today as we walk through uh, our text today. All right, so let's dive into the first two verses. Four marks of faithful gospel ministry. Verse 1, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. All right. So what is the denial here? What is the what is the denial? The denial is, is for you know, you know that our coming was not in vain. Our coming was not in vain. What is he saying? That word vain means empty. It, it means it means lacking everything. And what Paul is saying to I deny this. Our coming to you uh, was not without purpose, for you know it had purpose. So what does that tell us about the accusation? That, that there was some people or, 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 or something, whether within the church, without the church, the, they were saying, listen, listen, this group of people ran tail from Philippi. They ran away from trouble. And here they are coming here. And the first sign of trouble, they're gone. They're cowards. They're cowards. And, and what, what Paul is saying is that one mark of faithful gospel ministry in the church is gospel courage. Because what Paul is saying is, is, for you know we came with purpose. And in our coming, even though we suffered, even though we were humiliated, even though we came to you limping and hurting and bandaged up, having been beaten and wrongfully imprisoned, even though we came to you this way, we had boldness, we had courage. Paul and the apostles courageously declared the gospel in the face of great conflict, great agony, great opposition. So what do we observe in this text? The fact that they preached despite the opposition they faced before 
they arrived to Thessalonica, and during their ministry to Thessalonica was strong evidence of their genuine motives. How can Paul say that our coming to you is not in vain? Listen, what we know is is that self-serving people run from opposition, but purpose-filled people stand in the face of opposition. Paul believed the gospel. He trusted the gospel. And because of his belief and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and his trust in the Spirit's work, he was able to courageously lead. He was able to courageously preach, courageously declare, no matter the cost in his life. Paul's ministry was marked by this. It was marked by fearless opposition because he was committed to the advancement of the gospel no matter the cost. And so I asked the question, why? As I'm reading this, it's like, why, Paul, why would you go through this? Why, 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 why would you deny what is being said? Why would you defend yourself? Why would you put yourself through suffering and shame over and over again? And the answer is found in this text. Look at verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in what? In our God. To declare to you what? The gospel of God. Why, Why is Paul's ministry continually marked by this? Why did Paul continually put himself in this? Why was Paul courageously declaring the gospel? Because the gospel that they proclaimed was the gospel of God. And this gospel, what he believed is the same thing wrote on our wall over here. He believed that it was the power of God to salvation for everyone that believes. He believed that, and he risked his life for that. He knew our highest good, and he courageously would proclaim the gospel because he knew that we needed to be rescued from our sin, and we needed to be restored to God so that we could have purpose and joy forevermore. And he was committed to this. And what is he saying, church? He's saying to the church of Thessalonica, you know this. You know that if I didn't believe this and we didn't believe this, we would have never come to you. But because we believe it, because we believe it, we come to you and we faithfully preach to you and we stayed with you and we suffered for you. You know this. Faithful gospel ministry is never without gospel courage. Let's continue on. Look at verse 3 and 4. Again, I want you to see that denial, defense. Denial, defense. Look at verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. All right, so he's denying. What is he denying? Well, the accusation, if he is saying, if he is saying our appeal to you does not spring from error or impurity or in or any attempt to deceive, he is saying that there is accusations there that the apostles are lying, that they are deceiving, that they are glory-seeking imposters. Like that, that, there, there's more, more to it than that. We could continue to flesh that out. But in reality, that's, that's kind of the accusation. He is, he is denying that the, the message and the appeal that was being made to the church was anything but true. 
The defense is that the message and the messengers of the gospel were true and pure. Why? Look at verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. The message and messengers of the gospel were true and pure because the message is from God and for God. God, God, God tests those motives. He trains them. And we need to see that this gospel, the gospel of God, has been entrusted to the apostles. It's been entrusted to the apostles. It's, they have been approved by God. They've been, in other words, they've been commissioned by God. They, God has changed their heart through the work of the gospel. He has given them a new heart and He has approved this message and then He has appointed them as messengers and He has sent them to these people. And so, Paul is saying, our appeal to you is not erroneous, it's not corrupt. Our appeal to you is from God. <laughs> and our appeal to you is for God. If we look here the, and we just dive into, let's just say one word here. Let's look at the word appeal, for our appeal. The appeal that was made was, was the preaching of the gospel. And if we read and we flip back to Acts chapter 17 for a moment, the gospel, we'll see that the gospel is not only an announcement of good news, but it's a call to respond. In Acts 17, look at verse 2. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Now listen, we need to know that God is the gospel. Like God is the gospel. He is the agent of the gospel. It is by grace that we've been saved through faith in Christ. This is the truth. But the gospel is not simply standing up and proclaiming. As it is proclaimed, the work of the Holy Spirit is, what is it doing? It is reasoning with your heart. It is testing your heart. It, it, is, it is reasoning and explaining and is showing you the truth of the Scriptures in such a way that it's winning you to Christ. It is revealing the character and nature and the glory of God. It's revealing to you your sin and your sinfulness and how you've rebelled against God. Then it reveals to you the beauty of Christ and how if you turn from your sins and you trust in the salvific work of Christ on the cross, you may be saved and it persuades you to believe it. That is the work of God in your life. That is what it means to preach the gospel. That is what it means when we says the appeal. The appeal, we're preaching it, but in preaching, the Spirit of God is working in your heart and life, showing you that you need Christ. You need Christ. And that's why we preach and we trust the Spirit to work, even today, in your heart and life. And I'll just say, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your, as your uh, uh, personal Savior today, then the appeal 
by the Holy Spirit is for you to turn from your sin and to trust Christ, to repent and to believe and be saved. For today is the day of salvation. This message did not come from error. This message was not impure because the message came from God. It is God's gospel. It is the gospel of God. It has been entrusted to us by God. And the reason why the, 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 the message was not an error, the reason why the message was not impure, and the reason why even the methods were as pure as even the motive is because God is leading. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm not just coming to you as a man. I'm coming to you as a man of God. A man who once opposed the church of God. And now I come to you as a man who is in the church of God because of the work of Christ in my life. Paul insists that the method is true and that his motives are pure and his methods are genuine. And what we need to see here as we look at these uh, verses 3 and 4 is we see that denial that our appeal is not erroneous or corrupt. We see his defense that the gospel, the message and the messengers of the gospel were true and pure because the message is from God and for God. We see that the, this, this God-centeredness of this, this text. So we speak. Look at that. We, we have been approved by God to, to be entrusted with this gospel because of the God-centeredness of our message, because of the God-centeredness of the messenger, we speak. This is, this, this is the gospel integrity that we see here. We're not speak to please you. We're speaking because God has given us a message to speak. And so another mark of faithful gospel ministry is not only gospel courage, but gospel integrity. We speak, writes Paul. John Stott said this about this, this verse. As men who are tested by God, as men approved by God, as men trusted by God, the apostles are seeking to please God. No secret of Christian ministry is more important than its fundamental God-centeredness. So when we talk about gospel integrity, what we're talking about is that we are looking to the one who is integrity. We are looking and we are centering ourselves around the one who is pure. Our message is not from just Joey. Our message is not just from our message is from God, the holy, righteous, blameless one. And because of that, we speak, and we speak as men of integrity, Paul says, because this gospel is of God. So in essence, both the message of the gospel and the messenger of the gospel had divine backing that, that basically produced gospel integrity centered in God's glory. And it's very important for us to see. This is, this is a mark of faithful gospel ministry. And it also, if we were just to pull away from this text just for a minute, we were look at our own lives, we need to understand that we need to allow God to test our motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why, why 
Why are you here today? Why are you preaching the gospel, speaking the gospel? Why are you trying to basically orient your life around the gospel? Is it because of the God-centeredness of your life? Or is it because of some other reason? Because the accusations are here that, listen, Paul and his gang, they're a bunch of imposters. They're just trying to deceive you. They're trying to lie to you because what they really want is what ultimately is not theirs. They want it all. They want control over you. They want power over you. They want the prestige of life. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to get it. But what Paul is saying is, says, you know better, church. You know that our appeal to you, our message to you, was not in error because it was a message from God. You believe this and you trust in this. And it should mark your ministry. Let's continue on. The third mark of faithful gospel ministry is gospel affection. In verse 5 through 8, we'll read this again. Again, let's see the the grammatical pattern here. For, that's the denial, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but, that's the defense, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So what is the denial here? The denial is, Paul is saying to this church, our method of ministry was never marked by flattery, greed, exploitation, or the abuse of our power or authority. It was never marked by that. So that tells us that the accusation behind that was the apostles were were seeking glory and power. They 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 were greedy dictators. I mean, that's the, that's the accusation that we can see. And Paul's defense of that, the butt of this passage, is that the ministry of the apostles was gentle, it was loving, and it was sacrificial. Let's make a few observations in these texts. As messengers of God who loved and cared for the church, the apostles never used their influence, their position of influence, to peddle their own agenda to fatten their own wallets or increase their own social status among the people. They never did it. And I just want you to look at the language here and look at the progressive progressive language. Paul is denying he's defending. He's denying and he's defending. And when we get to this this third mark of faithful gospel ministry, when we look at gospel affections, he is denying, he is firmly, strongly Denying, for we never came across this way. You see the emphatic message of this. We never came across this way. We never sought glory from people. We never tried to flatter. We never came with a pretext of greed. We never, ever, ever 
made these demands or used our position of authority to lord over you for selfish gain. We never did that. You can almost see the uh, the kind of the holy anger kind of rising up through the text. It is, he is firmly denying these accusations, and he is defending the ministry that they had. They were apostles of Christ, which means that they had influence, that there was prestige in their lives. But as God as their witness, remember one of the observations we made before, but as the, the church here being a witness to them, the remembrance of Paul's coming, the genuine affection that they had for him, and remembering that, and also being God having the ability to approve and appoint them for the message. As God is their witness, they never used their position for personal glory, but rather they only used their position to boast in the cross of Christ. Paul's defense is, yes, we had boldness and courage. Yes, yes, we were authentic in all we did. Yes, our ministry was hard. Our ministry was tough. But also, our ministry was tender. I can't remember if I heard or read this in my studies, but I loved it because it kind of, I like the flow of it. It says, gospel ministry has both grit and grace. It's grit and grace. I like that. That's, I don't know, it fits me. I remember that, right? It has grit and grace. Paul is saying, look, we were, we were gentle. We didn't come this way. It wasn't, it wasn't this, it was this. They're saying this, and you know better, church. This is what we, how we came. We were gentle among you. The word gentle here means it is the virtue of being tender, considerate, and concerned for the well-being of others. And here's what I'm going to say before we talk about any of this. In our ministry here at Redeemer Church, whether it's pastoral or, or just you sitting and ministering in the context of this church to, to someone else, it should gentleness should always be an accompaniment to every ministry. Yes, there's grit, but there's always grace. Yes, there is toughness, but there's always tenderness. Paul equates their gentleness is that of a nursing mother. I love when I get to preach texts like this. Uh, you know, I don't have to come up with an example. I don't come up with the illustration. <laughs> right? I don't have to think about that. It's there. He uses that and equates their gentleness as that of a nursing mother. What does that mean? They nurtured and cared for these believers as a mother would her very own child. You that are moms, you're going to see this and you're going to feel the weight of that. You're going to feel the importance of that. You're going to understand that, that in nursing your child, you were giving yourself to them. Right? It wasn't just feeding them. It wasn't just nourishing them. It wasn't just caring for them. You were giving yourself to them. You are physically nursing. You are taking in your body. And your body, by God's design, is creating nourishment that you are giving to your child. And Paul is using this analogy. We were gentle among you. We pulled you up close to us. And we took what was entrusted to us and we gave it to you. 
because giving it to you is what you needed for life and godliness. And that's what he's saying in this passage. We were gentle with you as what? Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. They weren't just hired to do so. They willingly embraced these believers as their own. But Paul expounds upon this affection even further when he says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but of our very own selves. You can kind of see how he's building upon his, his illustration here of a nursing mother and what we just talked about. But what I want to draw attention to is that what I found interesting in, in, in study is that in verse 8, the language Paul uses for his affection here is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. Some commentaries say that it is even rare in all literature in this era. And the reason being is, this term here, this Greek term here means to desire greatly or to long for. And this word was only found in context where loved ones long to be with those who died. Specifically, parents to children. I don't want to labor here too long, but I want you to feel the weight of that. And for some of you, that's very personal. You've been through that. You feel that more so maybe than others do. You long, you have a longing. You've suffered the loss of someone and you just wish to be with them. You had great affection for them. There was a longing there. See, the, the apostles did not just share the gospel they shared their lives. And in sharing their lives, there was something that happened that only God can do. He put in them an affection for one another that they longed to be with Him. When Paul would say, I long to be with you, Timothy. He wouldn't just say, hey, I want to hang out and go grab some lunch. He's like, I want to be with you because it hurts to be without you. You see, faithful gospel ministry is affectionate for one another. We should love one another. We should give ourselves to one another. And Paul is saying, hey, I've given myself to you. You know this church. And I long to be with you. I'm, I desire to be with you in such a way that it hurts me to be without you. Paul had a passionate, authentic, unrelenting love for these believers to what? To know and grow in the gospel. That was his aim. And he, he was unrelenting in that. He had great courage in that. He loved that. He was fully committed to that. And I want us to just to, I'll let the Spirit work here in your heart. Test your motives for ministry here by testing your affection for the saints. 
Listen, we're all members of Redeemer Church here. We have some friends here that are not members of church, but what we, in coming to covenant membership at Redeemer Church, what we are saying is, is that we are committing to you. We're committing to you. Christ has committed Himself to us. He has loved us and He gave Himself for us. And the life that we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God. Like that's our life. And in joining this church, we are making a covenant with each other. And we're saying, I am committed to love you. I am committed to be with you. I am committed to take the faith that has been birthed in me by the Spirit of God. And I am committed to giving myself to you. And when I can't be here, it hurts. When I can't talk to you on the phone and encourage you, it hurts. I long to be with you. And I think we just need to ask ourselves, do we long to be in fellowship with the saints? It's just a good application and we can let the Spirit do its work there. The fourth mark of gospel, faithful gospel ministry is found in verse 9 through 12. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, We work night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. There it goes again. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into His kingdom and glory. What is Paul denying here? What is the four of this passage? He's saying, Church, you know, we, do, we, we did not burden you. We worked hard for you. You know that. So the accusations were had to be the, the apostles were only in your life. They're only in your life for what they can get out of it. Like what, like can, can they get money? Can they get power? Can they get prestige? Can they get a pat on the back? And Paul's saying, no, no, we did not burden you. We worked hard for you. We did not burden you. We worked hard for you. The defense of this passage is this. The apostles' ministry was a devoted, authentic, exemplary ministry marked by encouragement, instruction, and zeal for the church's personal walk with God. Alright? It was a devoted, authentic ministry marked by encouragement, instruction, and zeal for the church's personal walk with God. Paul had this mentality to do whatever it takes to advance the gospel. If there's any rednecks out here, it's the get her done thing, right? It's the get her done. Like Paul had that mentality. We're going to get her done. I used to, my boss, and who used to be my boss, has actually just now became my boss at the company I work for now. A little irony there. But he always says, we do whatever it takes to make it happen. Like, like Paul had that, had that mentality in relation to gospel ministry. It's like, look, I'm going to toil. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Instead of being a burden to the church financially 
We're going to do whatever it takes. Paul was like a father to the church, and he led by example. He led by instruction. And I just want to make one point, and again, I don't want to labor here. It's just a point. That manual and gospel labor are integrated. They're not separated. Like, ministry's hard. Faithful gospel ministry is hard. It requires manual labor. Just like if you're trying to do something, no matter what it is, you've got to work at it. Chris Hyde's. Huge pecan tree fell in his yard, like the biggest pecan tree in the, in the world. Like, and it fell over. Was, well, he's probably still working on it. Is it hard work? Was it hard work to deal with that tree? Absolutely. This is a massive tree. And it was hard to deal with and is hard to deal with. It requires work. No matter what you do, if you do it right, it's going to require hard work. Like, and, and what Paul is saying here is that ministry is difficult. And they didn't want to be a burden to the church. They understood the economic uh, situation of where they were at. He understood that there were people in the church that had power and prestige, but there was also people that lived in great poverty. And so they said, you know what? We're going to toil all day and all night so that we have opportunity to preach the gospel. Here's what I want. This is, I guess, a point of application here that we can pull from this text, if we step back from it just for a minute, is that your work and God's work are not separated. They are integrated. Wherever you're at, Speak and proclaim the gospel. You can do it by being people of integrity. You can be, do it by having a courageous message. You can do it by being affectionate toward people. You can do it by being strong in your faith. You can treat people in your workplace like a mother would their children. You know, be considerate. Be loving toward them. You can be like a father and help them along the way. Pull them aside and say, let me show you the right way. Let me show you this. Take someone by... There's all these different ways, but I just want us to show that we don't, we don't need to separate what we do for a living versus what we do in gospel ministry. Those things are just like this. If you're a father, if you're a father and you're in your home, share the gospel with your kids. When you rise up, <laughs> when you go out, when you come in, and when you lie down. That's faithful gospel ministry. And we need to, we need to recognize that. And we, that's not separated. It's like, well, I just got to have a worship service, you know, and this is where I do ministry. Ministry is done in every facet of life. And that's, that's just a point that I, I saw, an observation I made from this text that could be a good application for us in our lives. Faithful gospel ministry, Paul is saying, is hard. It's fatiguing. It's tolling work. And just like fatherhood, if you're looking for something easy, it's not gospel ministry. I think that's a good message for uh, a young minister. Like, you know, like for me, when I was a young minister, I was kind of, you know, I, I understood that because I grew up in a home where my dad was a pastor and he would faithfully labor over the word and he would come home in tears. 
Because the people were more interested in having their uh, uh, being pleased themselves than rather please God with the life. And I was like, man, I saw that. And I saw my dad struggle and he worked hard not to be a burden to the church. And he labored in the ministry time and time again. And it was just very, very difficult. But some people don't have that opportunity. They think ministry, wow, and there's power there. There's prestige there. Man, I can stand up on a pulpit and I get all the eyes and attention on me without realizing that it is God who needs to test the motives and does test our heart. <coughs> Excuse me. And it is God that gives us the strength to persevere even in ministry. You know, a good father, a good father works hard to support his family. I believe that. A good father works hard to support his family. I believe a good father lives rightly as a good example for his family. And I believe a good father speaks powerfully into the life of his family. A good father wants what's best for his children. And what Paul is saying here is that you know, church, you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted you, we encouraged you, we charged you. Like we did that. And we did that for a purpose. We did that for a purpose. What was the aim of Paul's pastoral ministry here? This, the mark here is that gospel ministry, gospel ministry is strong. So you see gospel strength in ministry. Paul encouraged, he exhorted, and he cared for these believers because what? He was seeking their highest good. He wanted them to walk in a manner worthy of God. This was the aim of Paul's ministry. This is the reason why he was a good father to them and exhorted and encouraged and he challenged and charged. This is why he was a, a, a loving mother who was gentle and considerate and loving and sacrificial. This is why he was, he was, <coughs> excuse me, he had integrity birthed from the God of the gospel who had given him and appointed him and approved him. That's why he would speak courageously because he wanted this church to walk in a manner worthy of God. He loved them and he sought to lead them for their good and God's glory. So what this passage gives us is it defines what true spiritual leadership should look like in the local church. And the makeup of faithful gospel ministry is, is, is firmness, is faithfulness, is fondness. It is tenacious, it is truthful, and it is tender. And at the conclusion of this section here, God is described in a beautiful way. He said, we exhorted each one of you we encouraged you, we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. God is described as the one who calls you into His kingdom and glory. Why should we desire to walk in a manner worthy of God? Because God has called us. God has called the Thessalonians to Himself through the preaching of the Word, and He has set them apart to share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God has called us. God has saved us. God has adopted us. God has set us in His kingdom forever. And one day, one day, we shall enter the eternal kingdom and the glory of His presence forevermore. This is the promise. This is the calling of God in our life. One last observation before we close. The verb in verse 12 here, who calls you, calls, is in the present tense. God has called us to salvation, and He is constantly calling us to it. He has called us to salvation in Christ, to faith in Christ, and He is constantly calling us to holiness, to obedience, and to joy found only in Him. And He does that church through faithful gospel ministry. He does that through people like Paul, through pastors and teachers, through men and women of God who come around alongside of you and encourage you and exhort you and charge you. This passage gives us a beautiful exhortation and example for faithful gospel ministry in the local church. Our ministry should always be marked by courage, by integrity, by affection and strength as we pursue the glory of God and the joy of all people through worship, fellowship, discipleship and mission until He comes again. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word to us today. Father, I pray that through the power of Your Holy Spirit, and the message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, I I pray, Lord, that we all are persuaded of the Gospel to believe it, to trust in it, to stand firm in it, and courageously, authentically, lovingly, and firmly press into each other, giving ourselves to one another, being an example, being an encourager, being an exhorter, always considering and sacrificing for each other's good so that we as a church would answer the call to walk worthy of the gospel to live our lives in a way that pleases God and gives us joy and peace amid much conflict and much opposition. Do your work that only you can do in our life. Birth faith. Give grace. Grant forgiveness. Save. Encourage. Empower. For your honor and glory. 